Welcome to another edition of Art Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Dan. I'll be joined today by my co-host, Erin. Erin's joining us remote. She was having some issues with Zoom, so she'll be joining us via phone. We're talking to a talented photographer artist named Saul Hill, S-O-L-H-I-L-L. You can find his work at saulhill.com. Saul creates metagraphs. You're going to want to stick around to hear this fascinating process. Also, I'm going to talk a bit about NFTs and crypto art. I'm just going to touch on that. We'll probably do an episode on that in the future. There's going to be a short sponsor message, and then we'll get right to our interview. So please don't go anywhere. Welcome to another edition of Art Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Dan, and I'm here with my host, Aaron. How you doing, Aaron? Oh, just never a dull moment. Another day in paradise. Today's been so crazy, I, was, I wasn't even sure about my own introduction just now. I was having to think about it while I was doing it. <laughs> I know, right? It's just a weird day. It's like electronics are kind of freaky, and people are kind of freaky today, and all kinds of stuff going on. Well, yeah, but you're dealing with your, your stepdad. Well, yeah, and just a little dementia here and there uh, yeah nothing to brighten up the day <laughs> well sorry sorry you have to deal with all that stuff so erin is normally with me here in our little studio but she is remote today so if she sounds a little bit different that's why also uh, i wanted to mention to everybody that i art talk podcast obviously i've been in the art industry for many years if you've listened to previous episodes you know that and um, i've worked with a lot of artists uh, one of the artists I w- i'm working with is clara berta b-e-r-t-a we did a uh, interview with her one of one of our earlier podcast if you want to go back and listen to that. But um, the reason I'm mentioning it is because all of this talk about COVID. So one thing I did for her was I wanted to find out how are interior designers doing? Because that's an indicator if they're doing well or if they're busy, it's an indicator that the in- industry is is active, you know? And so uh, so I did. I called a number of interior designers and they, also, they said they're extremely busy. So uh, I put Clara in touch with a bunch of these interior designers. So if you are an interior designer, because I know a number of interior designers listen to this uh, podcast, just go to Berta Art, B-E-R-T-A-A-R-T.com. And there you will find abstract art that you can use for interior design and she can do any size. And she works in acrylics and oils and all these different mediums. So there you go on that. And then Aaron, um, you you and I were talking about NFTs and crypto art, and I never got a chance to tell you anything about it because you've been busy dealing with all that uh, family stuff. But yeah, that was fascinating though. Well, just for listeners, I'm going to give you a quick idea. So I took 10 days off. And the reason I took 10 days off to learn this is because people said to me, no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, you're going to run into roadblock. Things aren't going to work. Your passwords won't work. Uh, your account can get hacked. They, they just gave me all these warnings. And I thought, man, why would anybody want to get into this? But so I did I did go ahead and successfully accomplish my goal, which was to publish a uh, NFT, a piece of crypto art, a nice. digital art file. So if you're interested in this at all, I would have to dedicate an entire show to it. But just to give you an idea, I went ahead and did a sort of a to-do list for myself, which is the way I do everything just about. But just to just to 
give you a quick idea, because we have a good guest today, and I want to get to our guest, but I also want to just share with people, because I did mention this, and then now we're coming back after that break. So as far as setting up NFTs, if you're an artist and you want to have a digital file, the digital file can be video, it can be a still image, it can be a GIF, there's all these different mediums. So if you guys remember the um, video on YouTube where there's two kids, and one of the little kids bites the other kid on the finger, and he, he screams and says, I forget what the other kid's name is, like Mikey bit me or whatever he says, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so that video is from 2007. And and it's and it's been seen like it's the most watched video of one year. I forget what year, 2012 or whatever it was. They turned that into an NFT and sold it for a huge millions. I don't know how much money I'd have to go back and look, but they sold it for a lot of money. Wow. And, and so they, they pulled it off of YouTube and now it's a digital file that's owned by somebody like you would own a piece of art, you know? And then photography is another one. Uh, uh, NFTs, photographers are big into these right now. So, um, but let me just get to this real quick. So here, give you an idea. Here's my to-do list. Uh, set up a digital wallet, download MetaMask. It's not a, it's not a down, you can download it to a phone, but if you're on a desktop and so set up a digital wallet, MetaMask is the one I recommend. Install on computer as an extension. Um, I'm reading my notes. Many platforms are linked to MetaMask. So you use MetaMask to sign into these platforms. Uh, when you're issued a code, don't lose it uh, and be sure to always type it in correctly. So yeah, the code, if you incorrectly type in your really long code, you'll actually send uh, currency to the wrong person. And if you do that and confirm, yeah, if you do that and confirm it, you can never get it back. So the digital world and the NFT world is totally different than um, uh, your protection is not the same. In other words, you don't have the bank back FDIC or any of that stuff involved, you know, so you're on your own. Kind of like the wild, wild west of finance in a way, it's or, or investing, I should say. So when you're issued a code, don't lose it. Uh, these are my instructions to myself. So pardon me if, I'm, if it sounds weird. Uh, set up Coinbase account. So you want to go to Coinbase and you can buy coins a number of different ways for the cryptocurrency. Uh, buying coins is taxed and there are they have what they call gas fees. So when I say taxed, it's it's this whole world has its own taxing and, and its own way of charging you fees for every single thing that you do. And so they call them gas fees. So everything costs and you'll notice that when you start studying this. Um, you also want to apply with a platform like Super Rare, Nifty Gateway, Known Origin, Foundation, Ephemera, or however you pronounce that one. And sometimes you have to get them to invite you. And also too, it's good to have a collection of work, not just one or two pieces. Also too, uh, you want to go to OpenSea. OpenSea is the one I use. It's really easy to use. And with OpenSea, you only pay a minting fee one time, uh, but there will always be a gas fee. And then as far as promoting these, once you get them all going, you're going to be using Twitter and all these different types of social media. Um, and you can take the link from your um, listing once you get it done and you can share that link. And if somebody buys that NFT from you, um, you're going to be charged fees to sell it. So again, it's all really complicated. It's going to take me a lot more time to talk about, but I just wanted to touch base or touch the surface on this because um, I did talk a lot about this before. And then, like I say, we're just coming back after a break of me studying this whole thing. So today, yeah. So are you still with me, Aaron? Yeah. Okay, absolutely. good. So today we are talking to a, a talented artist photographer named Saul Hill and that name is spelled S-O-L-H-I-L-L. -L. We should have Saul on the line with us. Are you there, Saul? I am here. Oh, there you go. How you doing? I am well today. Good, good. And uh, Aaron, can you hear Saul okay? I can hear Saul. Okay, good, good. Hi, so, um, Hello, Aaron. So, Saul, I was I was just talking about NFTs and crypto art. Have you have you gotten into all of that yet or is that, are you familiar with I've been with getting it? into it and I've been um, I've been experiencing a lot of the various roadblocks and, and issues that you have. There is one thing I would throw out right away to anybody who's interested but hasn't really begun yet, find and get yourself an excellent password application that, you know, with good security that, you know, I mean, there's a bunch of them out there, Dashlane, 
pass, last pass, that kind of thing. Um, because you want something that you can safely store these ridiculously long encryption keys or multi like 12 plus word, you know, pass, word passes, etc. in that you can retrieve without having to lose them on written pieces of paper or some notebook or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. It's a cloud-based password application. You know, it'll be backed up in the cloud and you can access it from your phone or your computer. You just get yourself a really good master password for that and then store everything in there because you go along this path getting um, you know, a Coinbase account, a MetaMask account, a, a super rare or or open or mint base or you know whatever nft marketplace you'll have passwords so you'll end up with more passwords in a very short order than than you thought you could ever achieve in in such a short amount of time that's true you gotta have a place to save it <laughs> all safely that's true. <laughs> true okay well that, okay so you are very familiar with this then okay good um you both are my gosh well i i'm i'm you know i literally just learned it all so i'm not yeah, me too. I'm, I'm, I'm not an old hat at this. I'm still actually, before actually minting and posting things, I'm trying to do what you recommended, which was have a collection of stuff to post at once. I mean, even a veteran in the NFT world has known about it for how long? It's only been around for, you know, <laughs> for, for like, and I'm not sure how long, but I've, I've, I've really started hearing about it in the last few months, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, like, like, almost like, um, so it's kind of like, uh, am I getting this right? It's almost like digital art. Well, well, here's what you're you... Into data of some sort? Okay. Data, or... Okay, so here's what you... Just to give a... And I don't want to talk about this too much because like I say, I want to get to Saul's uh, uh, questions and stuff. But um, yeah. hold on. The thing the thing about using the phone is that you get calls while you're while you're working. That's oh, well. uh, okay. <laughs> uh, like I say, Aaron's normally well, here. Thank you. Thank you. But Erin's normally here with me, uh, listeners, but she's not in the studio today. So she's, uh, we're, and we couldn't get Zoom to work on her, on her phone for some reason. So uh, she's literally just on a phone call with us. But anyway, where were we? I lost my track. Um, um, oh, 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 you were asking. Um, so think of it this way. If you create a piece of art, put it on the wall, it's a single piece of art and you sell that piece of art. One person owns it. That's it. If they wanted to make prints out of that piece of art, they'd have to photograph it or they'd have to you know, scan it, whatever they're going to do and then make their prints out of it. So think of think of the same thing, but in the digital world, you have a file and that file is coded and it's a, it's a unique file. So if you say, I own this file and I paid $100 for it and I want to sell this file, I'm going to sell it for $500. So you could do that if you wanted to. Um, so it's, it's like having a piece of art. And then some people make limited edition. So you can make limited edition digital art as well. So it's the same concept as art uh, outside of digital, but it's been, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's so, so it's part, kind of, can I, Dan, can I add a little to that? Part of the beauty of the NFT concept is that um, the entire provenance of the history of that digital file, that digital artwork um, is encoded into the NFT, the non-fungible token. Right. And so unlike in the world of, you know, physical art, you know, where you're not necessarily sure who has owned it, you know, what the provenance is, that is all encoded into the file and easily trackable. So you can see 
what price was paid in the past by whom, you know, how long it was, or what, you know, the, the chain of ownership, all of that is like, it's included, it's open sourced in a way. And it's not like it goes into how much does a dealer want to share with the client or anything like that. Uh, that's, that's what I think well, Aaron, is the aspect. Right, right. Aaron, do you remember when I was selling Picasso and Salvador Dali and all that? Yeah. Okay. So remember every piece of art had to have a certificate of authenticity and it had to have provenance. It had to have background, like who was the first owner, who was the second owner? All of that is what Saul is talking about, but it's digital. Wow. So it's the same thing, but it's digital. And, um, and automatic. And what? And automatic. It's just encoded into it's the... automatic, right? Um, yeah, so so um, am I to understand you're, you're creating some some of this artwork as well? You, you've got your own thing going, right? It's... Yeah, I so I do digital work in a really kind of weird, mashed up hybrid way. This is probably a good segue to, you know, for you to start asking questions, but I... <laughs> I I'm a trained photographer and I went to um, and did my MFA. You know, I chose specifically to go to a, a school that had a photographic concentration um, in, in their MFA program, almost exclusively, actually. And Ooh. then um, okay. I just started moving immediately away from doing anything that resembled traditional photography. So I use a camera um, to initiate my works, but I don't use it in any way that is um, sort of akin to traditional photography, because what I'm trying to capture is all the stuff outside of visible light, all of the noise, all of the, the false exposure that a digital sensor records that, you know, or sees that the human eye does not see. That's and interesting. Then, yeah, that's really fascinating. And then I, 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 you're making, you're bringing life. You're bringing life to uh, moving pictures. Uh, well, there's, still, there's still images, and still um, images, yeah. and then, well, but what I'm doing is I'm bringing life to still, to still pictures. Well, yeah, and just so you know, um, when you talk, it's because of this phone thing. It kind of drowns out Saul a little bit. So if you oh, guys, yeah. it's okay. If you guys step on each other, it's it's not on purpose. It's just that uh, it's because of our connection thing here, going. So, but yeah, Aaron, he's well, he's. My toes hurt, then, uh... Oh yeah, right. <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, so Saul. Um, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. And I was going to make a comment about that. I, I, um, the way I do things, I'm a, you know, kind of a, a pragmatic type person and I'm also an artist, you know, so I, I, there's a lot of technical things that I do or whatever, but one time I, I, I wanted to capture the aura of light somehow. So what I did was I took a um, piece of paper and I cut it into a small box. I made a box out of a piece of paper. And then I, I put a light underneath the open bottom side of this paper box and I lit it and it was art paper that had texture to it. So it created kind of an interesting um, um, light box that I photographed. And the idea was I was going to see if I could see the aura around it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so it's like a silhouette. Silhouette, sort of. Yeah. And, and I was just curious about it. I don't know why i got the idea it was a long time ago and i don't know if you remember this or not aaron but it was like a yeah it was i just called light box and it was and i wound up publishing it as a as an image but um and i moved on but it, but it's interesting you were saying that and I, it reminded me of that i thought oh that's weird i, I thought it occurred to me uh, a long time ago so saw the um first thing i noticed when i looked at your work because you had said photographer and i thought wow this looks like almost like an abstract painting with a little bit of a pointillism feel to it you know it had a lot of small uh, uh sort of uh what would look like brush hits or something if you were painting it so um yeah, a lot uh, of people think my work looks like pointillist contemporary pointillism um or somewhere between contemporary pointillism and like the you know, scraped antique Mexican furniture that has like yeah. two dozen layers of paint that have been scraped away, kind yeah. of revealing many colors. Yeah, I, and I can it see that. Yeah. Has that effect also? Yeah, Aaron, you didn't get a chance to see Saul's work, but um, it's and for anybody who's listening, go to S O L 
H-I-L-L.com, SaulHill.com. Really impressive images. And um, I also know... Is it light reflective, light reflective sort of? Is is that what I'm getting? Um, Is that what creates the breaststroke sort of? No, he's... No, no. We're saying that um, he has a way to use a camera that uh, some people mistake them for paintings. So yeah, no, I understand. I understand. Right. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. 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 So, uh, um, and so also too, I noticed that uh, it said metagraphs. Can you talk a little about what a talk a little bit about what a metagraph is? Metagraph. Sure. Um, so I came up with that moniker metagraph to describe my work, um, mostly because I was uncomfortable with this weird place that I've landed, in which I have been told by, for example, some curators of. Um, uh, curator of a museum of photography told me in no uncertain terms that that my work was not photography and that I was wasting this person's time um, presenting it uh, to this particular museum curator. And uh, at other times I've been told by art appraisers and other people that my work um, are, are paintings. And I would correct them and say, well, they're, they're photographs. And then, you know, this went back and forth in one meeting one time um, to the point where then this uh, appraiser put her hand on my shoulder and said, well, Salt, they're paintings. Okay. They're paintings. That's and interesting. That's like, uh, <laughs> that's like a combination of, uh, of, um, evolution and genius mixed together because if you can come up with your own terminology because when I read it I've been in the art industry literally decades uh, and I, I've sold you know I ran a publishing company and so I've sold lithographs serographs monoprints etchings engravings mesotints you know anything you can think of and I, I saw metagraphs and I thought Huh, that's interesting. Exactly. There you go. And that's exactly why I came up with this eventually, because it's, it, inten- it it drives people to ask, what is a metagraph? Right, right. Exactly. And that opens a conversation rather than closes it. Because right. if I have somebody that tells me, you know, this is not a photograph in, you know, no uncertain terms, or it is a photograph, or it's a painting, or it's not a painting, you know, because the other side of the things is if I, if I describe my work as paintings, you know, technically, technically they're not, you know, it's not a, an acrylic painting. It's not an oil painting. And, you know, if I submitted it to a show that was of, you know, say there's quite a, there's a league or a, a group of American contemporary, you know, uh, not pointless, but you know, what's the word I'm thinking? Sorry. It's been a long couple of days and, and that's okay. Uh, that's okay. I, I'm, 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 fo- we're following along. Impressionist <laughs> painting, impressionist, impressionist painting okay. society. If I submitted to a show for that, you know, it's not technically a painting photographs are, are prohibited. So, you know, I was in this situation of where, how do I appropriately describe my work so that it doesn't get ignored by people who like paintings or dislike paintings, like photography or don't like photography. It's something else in a way. Um, it starts in a camera data capture, um, but then I work that data and I'm not sure it's exactly a photograph anymore. It's camera-based, camera-originated work in a way, but that's sort of a dry way of describing something. And the reason I came up with Metagraph is it is a recording, you know, it is a graph. It's a recording of something. Hmm. It's just a recording of more than visible light. It's a recording of any energy that moves electrons into the pixel ports during the exposure at the time of exposure. And that includes the endemic energy in the camera system, and it includes external energies uh, outside of the camera system that affect the exposure outside of visible light. So that's that is essentially the background thumbprint of the universe we inhabit, the huh. background radiation oh. of the Big Bang. Um, it's human communication technology. You know, I, I forgot what the it, acronym is for this, but I... I had a friend um, some years back who would go into like haunted houses and, and I, I'm sorry, I'm not going 
going off the subject, I'm actually wondering if there's a correlation between the two. There's a there's something that that can be done with a certain type of equipment where you can actually hear the, um, something. If, if there's activity going on in a house or some place with there's some kind of um, sub sub something uh, paranormal sort of activity going on in some area and the equipment can pick up on it. I'm wondering if if what you're talking about can actually pick up on something like that. I don't know. Does that sound like a weird question? Well, in a, Am in I a way, going too far off? Well, in a way, absolutely. Yes, um, because. So, you know, the common phrase for what I'm working with in the world of photography is noise, digital noise. Um, right. And Aaron, Aaron, my first piece of digital art NFT is called Digital Nose, which was a play on the on the words digital noise. <laughs> oh, really? That's hilarious. Right, that's oh, what a what a dink. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. Go ahead. No worries. So the, um, you know, what the way a digital sensor works in a camera is there's electrons charged on the surface and light yeah. comes in, you know, photons come in and knock the electrons charged on the surface down into the pixel port. And the more electrons from the surface of the sensor that fall into the pixel port gets recorded as exposure. Hmm. But any energy that moves electrons can and does get exposed, uh, uh, create wow. exposure. It's called false exposure technically, and or commonly called digital noise. And I became interested in, you know, what is noise basically, scientifically speaking, you know, conceptually speaking, what is noise? And the most basic definition is anything that interferes with what you are actively seeking. It doesn't mean it's useless, meaningless, or ugly. It's just an interference from what you expect. So, and, would, would you say? Would you say there's? Would you say there's a a uh, a noise that's audio, audible noise, and then there's also a visible or or um, you know visual noise? Would you say there's? Yeah, you know, it's very much sort of the same thing. If you're using audio equipment and you have that background hiss, that background hiss that you're listening to is, amongst other things, you know, the remnants of the Big Bang. It's the, you know, the energy that is passing off the sun that is outside of visible light. It's the uh, the, the wavelength communication technology that we've created in satellite feeds, radio and television. It is well. We're all, we're all we're all surrounded by a magnetic field. Yeah. So when you when you go to uh, human beings, I was just going to say, human yeah. beings generate an electromagnetic field right. that's measurable up to thirty feet off the body, and yeah. that noise in any of these electronic systems. Well, so we, you know, it's interesting. We live in an energy soup. You know? Yeah, it's interesting you're talking about all this stuff because um, I'm I am an artist and, and an art consultant, but I as at a young age I, where I grew up, you know, our field trips as little kids uh, from school were to go to NASA. And so if you're a little kid and you're standing there looking at a moon rock, I mean, I got hooked immediately. And so I've been obsessed with space travel and cosmos. And when I sold Salvador Dali's work, I studied the cosmos heavily because Dali did it. You know, Dali was really into math and, and science and the co he, always, he was never seen without a science book, you know, so he was constantly studying science. So it's interesting that you're you're a, an artist, but you also have all of this uh, sort of knowledge of, uh, of these other more technical and then you know, things about the cosmos and science and all that. So I think that's a fantastic combination, by the way. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big Ted talk junkie for oh, anything, yeah. any of the science stuff that talks about human perception or the way the brain works, you know, the neuroanatomists on, on Ted or, or, you know, any of the scientists that describe 
perception or vision or, you know, the cosmos in general, or, you know, string theory, all this stuff. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a super expert, but I drink it up and. No, no, I, I I totally, I was going to say, Aaron, you still with us? Yeah, is it? Well, I was just, I was going to interject. Uh, I was isn't it interesting how you can start out talking about, about art and just sort of blossom, you know. Well, what, what, what I was going to say, what I was going to, you know. Yeah, what I was going to say was, it sounds like, because you're used to hanging around with me, but it sounds like you could go hang around with Saul and it wouldn't be any different. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, Saul, let me, let me give you an idea of, of what it's like for Aaron to be around here. Cool. If she's not, if she's not hearing my loud Fender Stratocaster playing rock and roll, um, the other day, I, the other, the other day I said to her, I said, Hey, look at this, what I, I created here. So I took a, um, I took a scanner, like a, an old scanner that you, you scan documents with. And I have a vintage Charlie Brown doll. It's about maybe, I don't know, eight inches tall or something. And I've had it since I was a little kid. It's the only thing I've left from my childhood. And so I, I put Charlie Brown on the scanner and then behind him, I put a bubble wrap. And then I also took other objects and different things. And I started scanning this doll with, with different media around it, you know, mediums around it, whatever. And, um, and what I wound up with was an image that looked like, that looks like Charlie Brown is phasing in and out of reality. It's like half of his body is like phasing out, you know? I know that's so cool with the scanner or the way like three-dimensional objects sort of get scanned and blurred and tack sharp right up against the glass and then fading away. It's right. uh, cool effects you can get with this. Yeah, it was really great. And I got the idea from somebody online. They said, hey, I'm trying scanner art. And I was like, scanner art? I hadn't done that yet. But um, yeah, it's fascinating. I... I have a question for you, Saul. Um, have you are are you um, are you doing any events? Are you um, doing any displays of, of any of your artwork? Or I mean. Um. I have work in two museum shows at the moment. Um, I have a solo show up at the Irving Art Center in uh, wow. Irving, Texas, which you know is essentially Dallas, um, home of the Dallas Cowboys. Yep, and <laughs> and then I have a kind of a large piece or medium sized piece up, um, medium large. I mean, I guess it's forty eight inches, um, uh, forty five inches wide by thirty six. So it's not. Mm-hmm. Not small, right. not large. Um, right. At uh, the Marin uh, Mocha, the Marin Museum of Contemporary Art, um, just across nice. from uh, San Francisco. Okay. Um, oh, wow. And so that's what I have on exhibit right now. Do you uh, have that listed on your website? I should have. Well, I'm not sure I've posted the Marin yet, but I should have the Irving. I better double check. You know, if you want to, if you want to send me those, if you want to send me that information, when I do the description of the podcast, I'll add something in yeah. there. So people will, will yeah. know that those it, are. The, the Irving art show is pretty cool because they have a virtual, um, you can see the exhibit virtually. And then they also have a virtual walkthrough where you can move through the space and see the work on the walls in in uh, real like space. Sort of yeah, yeah, it's a virtual. Yeah, yeah. Nice. It's like nice. digital tour kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So Saul, so just just uh, because we're we're going to be running out of time here, real quick. I didn't get a chance to talk about your uh, what got you into all of this. So what was your uh, what's the origin of your interest in art? In other words, what got you started? <laughs> um, well, I'm I'm the product of two artists who founded the first art gallery or contemporary art gallery in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Really. Um, 
Wow. The first commercial, I think there was technically an art space before that was showing something other than cowboy and Indian art or, or, you know, modern abstract. Work. Well, I was back in the eighties, I would read about Santa Fe and they called it the art hub of the Southwest. Southwest. I mean. So that was when I was in high school and my formative sort of years. Yeah. Santa Fe was the, uh, the highest number of artists and art galleries per capita of any mm -hmm. city in North America. That's right. That's right. I had, I had tons of customers per capita new york was yeah. still number one but as an art market just the market right. share santa fe was number two right you know right and this is a city of like fifty thousand people versus new york city no um, we I, I was running a <laughs> i was running a an art publishing company back then uh they were making decorative art and um you know half of our prints were something about a pueblo or you know uh some sort of indian women uh, back then right. they would they would the titles would even say like Indian women making pottery or something like that. You know, mm -hmm. um, now it would have to say indigenous women, of course. But um, uh, but uh, yeah, it was politically correct. Well, you know, I mean, I'm I'm okay with that. I'm just saying that times have changed. But but my point being that what Saul is saying is that back in the '80s, you know, we would we would be talking to somebody in you know New York or Kentucky or someplace that you wouldn't think of this, and they'd say we're doing our entire interior in Southwestern. And I, I'd be like, you're in, you know, <laughs> you're in like, you're in like uh, Washington state or something. It didn't, it didn't always work, but, but they, that's what everybody wanted in those days. And then uh, for a short period of time, uh, I don't know if you remember this or not, Aaron, but um, at, at that one company, Art Image, all these people, yeah. all these people wanted duck stamp prints. They wanted prints of, oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, they they wanted ducks and geese. And so is it weird how, how we go through these phases, yeah. but Southwestern art, yeah. Uh, not only did it have a peak at that time, but it's still to this day, you know, captures a pretty good part part of the market. So, uh, so Saul, were you originally a photographer or what was your original um, medium? So I probably photography. I, I didn't really consider pursuing art seriously. Actually, I did. When I went to college, I, I did some you know, introductory design classes and um, some printmaking classes. And I, I just totally fell in love. And I told my parents, I want to be, I want to be an artist. I want to study art. Mm -hmm. And they both um, independently, they weren't together anymore um, in, in their own words, basically said, oh no, please, please do anything else. Do something. Right. <laughs> right. And, um, and uh, where have I, I heard that before? Right? <laughs> kind of took the wind out, out of my sail. So I ended up um, getting my degree in international affairs with an area specialization in Persian Gulf security matters. Wow. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Very different at the time. Very. I did not expect, I did not, ex <laughs> I didn't expect to hear, I, I did not yeah. expect to hear that. No, no, no. You, uh, it, but I also knew that I didn't, I was not really cut of the cloth of somebody who would pursue a career um, with the State Department or the military or the CIA or a multinational corporation. And I was a bit too jaded at the time to see the value in many of the phenomenal, um, you know, sort of non-government NGOs, non-governmental organizations in the world. Um, so I, I just decided not to pursue that path. I'm inherently a creative person. And um, I, when I was in college and uh, doing this degree, I also um, inherited a bit of money from my uncle and bought an old house in Portland, Oregon and remodeled it and Ooh. learned along the way how incredibly toxic our buildings are. Like oh, yeah. Every material you use and how indoor air quality is worse indoors 
than it is in most major urban areas uh, in the country outdoors. And so I became really interested in sort of healthy, non-toxic um, building and thought I would be a builder of, you know, earthen uh, straw bale or, or other type of homes and uh, built a couple of houses, cured me of that, needed to go back to doing something right. <laughs> more creative. And I, I started a lighting company where I made um, a stone and twig and handmade paper lamps with my wife, who's a wow. former Brazilian paper artist, oh. but renowned art. And, you know, we did this together for quite a few years and then sold the company um, shortly after our son was born. And I was going into a tailspin of an undiagnosed health crash. Oh, wow. And uh, for about a year, I was about the pallor of a sheet of paper, and I slept two nights, two hours a night, um, <gasps> only sleep after midnight, and I would wake up like clockwork at 2 a.m. Wow. And by the end of a year, I was so like fried, as you can imagine. Um, and I was, you know, the doctors would all say, like, well, there's nothing wrong with you. We can't find anything wrong with you. You're just stressed, you know. <clears throat> get Sleep. And I was like, well, that's the problem. But I finally worked with a brilliant English, um, what is it, clinical nutritionist who basically said, look, I can't diagnose what's wrong, but we can look at how all the systems in your body are working and try to restore balance and hopefully your body will heal itself. And um, Did they say anything to you about melatonin or anything or? Oh yeah. I, I, I would gobble melatonin. Oh, okay. Much. I mean, the only thing that would really put me to sleep was uh, like, something high powered like Ambien, but you know, that the, the side of you could, you could take melatonin and it does not put you, that's amazing. Cause I mean, if I take well, that stuff, back then, I, yeah, back then that was, that was so now, um, now I do fine with melatonin. Um, but it was, uh, it was rough and, and halfway through that with, with the homeopathic stuff or Oh, well, I was in Santa Fe, New Mexico at the time. So of course, you know, <laughs> yeah, he was saying, Aaron, he's saying he was in Santa Fe, New Mexico at the time. So yeah, that's, that was part of it. Yeah, that was part of the course, all the alternative uh, approaches yeah. and, and all that. And actually sort of a combination of these alternative approaches are what restored balance and kind of healed me. In hindsight, it's pretty evident that it was a, an, a very acute Lyme disease crash. Um, oh. but I never got the diagnosis at the time. Wow. So now I just live doing a lot of sort of general health maintenance and, and, you know, taking care of myself and eating well and, and, uh, all of that and keep it in check. Um, for the most what a, part, what a concept, taking care but of here's ourselves. the thing wow. this is actually really salient because halfway through that year, I woke up from attempting to nap. I mean, I was dozing, but I didn't really sleep and I was laying there and it's, I just suddenly had this thought, what if I don't get well, what if I'm halfway mm. out? a slow slide out of this world and we had a newborn son that was a year wow, old wow, and wow. you know and and I had a beautiful wife and I was you know and I had to ask myself like wow am I satisfied with who I've am who what I've been doing and you know all of that and the answer was no Ooh. and that was a real wow. wake up call because it occurred to me that you know if I, and I I made a promise you know I said if I get well from this I promise to only pursue what I'm truly passionate about and what I care oh, good about. For you, sweetie. Good for you. And um, I did get well. And so I was like, okay, time to make good on my promise. And so I completely changed everything, went to Brooks Institute in uh, California oh, to study photography. Wonderful. 
and very quickly ended up in the MFA program. They made me do a provisional MFA, which basically meant the first year of the commercial undergrad um, technical skills. You know, it was a way of getting more, more, more tuition out of me, but it was, uh, it was good for my skills. Well, and- also, also, I want to, I want to uh, say that the parallels are, are weird listening to you talk, but um, so um, it, for people that are listening, it's, it's, it's I, it, usually the, the podcasts don't take this turn, but, uh, but um, you know, I went through um, uh, a long time, a, a period of time where they didn't know what was wrong with me and it turned out it was cancer, you know? And so um, I had to go through chemotherapy and all this. And just like you said, when I, I started thinking about, you know, what I was doing with my life and all that, and it was really a scenario where it was, I need to make a certain amount of money so I can live a certain kind of lifestyle. And after you get a serious diagnosis like that, or like in your case where they couldn't figure it out and then they figured it out or whatever, your perspective of everything completely changes. And mm-hmm. so I, I said to myself, you know, um, cause I, I was a, a, an actor and I'm a member of the Screen Actors Guild, but way back when, quarter of a century ago when, you know, we got pregnant, um, you know, I had to really just full-time art business. And so as soon as I went through all of this trauma and health stuff, um, I decided I'm going to do what I always wanted to do or dreamed about doing, which was get back to acting. Cause that was really where I enjoyed spending my time was on sets and all that kind of stuff. And the minute that, <laughs> that I made this decision and I even started putting effort into it, then the pandemic hit. And the whole industry, the whole industry shut down. And so I'm like, okay, what's the universe trying to tell me now? You know, so. you know I saw a, well, that, sticker, uh, a while back. It said, you know, if you want to make God laugh, tell him you have plans. Oh yeah. Right. 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 Well, I always you say, know, I always just say so you guys God know, we're going to just, just so you guys know we're running out of time, but go ahead, Saul, go ahead. I was going to say, God has a great sense of humor. It's just not a, a human sense of humor. Oh, there you go. And, and that, that actually kind of bring me to a point that I wanted to say much of my interest in the work that I do is sort of, as you mentioned, how I have sort of a scientific interest and in all of that. I, I'm really interested in the space where art, science, and spirituality meet, because I believe pretty firmly that if you really travel out those divergent arcs of science and spirituality, uh, those divergent arcs of knowledge, ultimately, they're going to circle back around and point to the same thing. And yeah. I think that thing is also what art is always pointing at in one way or another. Well, one way, you, one way that one way that balance yeah one way that you can in in let's just say my way of doing that is i do things that are kind of weird that i don't necessarily tell people uh how i did it but like mm-hmm. for example i have a piece of art and it's called the avocado nebula and i wait for someone to say why is this called the avocado nebula and i say because there was a plate of food and what was left over on it was some smeared avocado so i took a picture of it and then i made a negative out of the picture and I started playing around with it digitally. And what it started looking like was a nebula out in outer space. And so I took, a, you know, some food and <laughs> on some ceramic and turned that into a piece of art that looks like you're looking at stars and, you know, whatever in outer space. So I think it's really interesting what you're saying, because, uh, you know, all the sort of strange things I've done in the past to get to my final product, you know what I mean? I'm kind of like when you have me a plate of food everything's sort of like in its own little spot and i kind of like take a spoon or a fork and mix it all together well, I, 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 I arrange food uh, for anyone who doesn't know what Aaron's talking about. I arrange food so it looks like, you know, because I watched cooking shows obsessively for years. So all my plates have to look perfect. 
and I'm wiping the side of the plate and doing all that stuff, you know. So Aaron takes that and then just jumbles it all into a pile of food and eats it. <laughs> so I'm not sure. It's art. Yeah, but you have weird, you mix beets and sour cream, which is the most disgusting thing I've ever seen, and, and you love it. So I know, I know. I can't, I can't look at it, though. I, I, you know, I should take a picture of that and make a piece of art out of it. But uh, it looks like someone you already ate it. No, I'm sorry. Anyway, so Saul, I, I want to get back to you. So we're running out of time. So as far as uh, I was trying to get a little bit of history and all that kind of thing, but um, as far as what you have going now, so we have SaulHill.com. And are there other things that you want to share with any listeners about uh, your work or things you have upcoming, or if you'd like for them to get a hold of you for specific commissions or any of that kind of thing? I love doing commissions. So yeah, anybody who's interested can reach out to me, um, you know, via my website uh, or my email is soul at soulhill.com. I, I think the intention of a lot of my work is, I mean, it has this very abstracted, you know, very complex architecture and shape and color complexity. I mean, they do look kind of like pointillist paintings, um, but it is, and they're abstracted. And I, but I always like to have a certain degree of, of, representations. So they're not pure abstractions. There are a lot of the figure right. is right. present in a lot of my, um, no, I, I looked at the, I looked at the work. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. Sorry to interrupt you, Aaron. I, I looked at the work and, um, uh, I can tell you right now, cause I've, I've worked with so many interior designers and, and all these people where you're standing there watching how they work and interior designers typically, when they take a look at art, they look at it and they say one of two things. They say, or one of three things, excuse me. They say, you know, that's not really what we work with. Or they say, I have a job right now where this will work. Or they go, you know what? I like this art, so I'm saving it for the future. So the bulk of the of the uh, uh, activity, let's say, that I had with interior designers was sending them information and having them put it on file for later. And then out of the blue, they'd call me and say, okay, mm -hmm. I need this, you know. So the reason I'm saying all of this is because your work, um, for any interior designers that are listening, I, I believe that you would look at Saul's work and say, okay, we want to keep this on file or use it right now. So that's just my opinion. Um, there's, there's a lot of color complexities that, you know, one image, sometimes they're even almost monochromatic, but if you get up close, there's so much color in it that they, you know, I mean, it's not always what you want to hear as an artist, you know, it'll match the couch or it'll match the color scheme. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but it does. And so a lot of interior designers do like my work for that reason. And um, another thing is, this is one thing that I should share. Um, I kind of work in an unusual way. Like I'm in this weird place between sort of photography, mechanical reproducible medium and painting and all that. And the way I've resolved dealing with, you know, do I do additions or whatever is I do a, out of every digital image that I've finalized, that I've realized, I, I typically, what I've done for years, I print onto very thin Japanese paper, which huh. is very strong and holds together when it's wet. And is that rice, I, rice paper? It's a mix, a blend. Um, okay. And then I, and then I mount it. To, wait, wait, hang on, Aaron. Hang on. Aaron is asking if it, Aaron's asking if it has silk in it. Um, I think it does. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, okay. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. Go ahead. And then I print onto, uh, or uh, sorry, print on a Japanese paper, and then I mount it to stretched canvas or board or other substrates, and do a fair amount of, um, un, you know, prep with with uh, gesso, and then 
um, layers of varnish to protect wow. it and UV light and all that. That's all that fascinating process. Some yeah. physical texture. So that's part of the reason why people also, if they see them in person, even are more convinced they're painting. Um, but what I was going to say is I, the way I've resolved dealing with the whole structure of editions or whatever is I do a, a very limited edition series of any image in a series of three or six on a smaller scale. And then I'll do a singular large version of it. Um, and Ooh. so that singular large piece is like the unique collectible object, like a, like a painting. Right. Um, and then the smaller ones would be have a very, you know, I, I keep my editions very small. And also I have a lot of things posted on my website that, you know, might be the smaller version or the, or the larger version. If there's ever a piece that is posted as, or I've made only the small version, I haven't made the large version yet. I make it to whatever scale or size somebody wants. Hmm. Fascinating. Um, I can yeah. tell you right now, we, we definitely need to revisit because, uh, you know, Normally what I do is Aaron and I sit down and we study the artist and we, we don't study extensively because we want to have some discovery when we're talking. But um, today, Aaron couldn't be here. Today, today was completely discombobulated. I had to had a problem with my microphone and we had to restart and all kinds of crazy stuff. So, um, so I do want to revisit in the future. And um, I will... Yeah, I will say that um, anyone who's into interior design or even if you're just looking for works for, um, you know, it could be a commercial lobby, or it could be an upscale home. Uh, I will, you know, I was going to say Saul's work is perfect for that. Um, and Saul, I was going to mention to you that when I was working with an interior designer one time, uh, she, she did something that I'll never forget. She, I brought her a whole bunch of uh, literally stacks of, of art to look at. Uh, and these were just on sheets of paper, you know, and, and so we took, a, we took a bunch of photographs of some art and we printed them out or whatever back, this was back in the eighties. And so she would look at one and go, mm, um, that's okay. And she'd put it on the left and then she'd say art school and she'd put it on the right. And then she'd get to the next one and go art school. And she kept saying art school. And I was like, well, why? She goes, because if it looks amateur to me at all, it's art school. I don't want that. She goes, it has to look professional. It has to look upscale. I got to put it in a house in Laguna Beach or Beverly Hills. And so, um, so it really stuck with me this sort of, because some art is very primitive and it could yeah, be. Well, you know what I would have said to her? I got your art school right here. Well, I, I mean, I get it. She was, she was a bit snobby, but my point is, is that she, in a sense is saying, it has to live up to a certain standard. In other words, if I'm going to put this in Steven Spielberg's house, I don't want him to look at it and say, you know, not a lot of effort went into making this piece of art. So she was wanting something. And when you look at Saul's work as an example, and listening to his description just now, lots of lots of work is going into, there's a lot of labor going into the uh, to the process. You know what well, I mean? People ask me all the time, how long does it take me to make a piece? And the honest answer is I often, I really have no idea because I will do, I mean, there's the field work of working with a camera to capture images. Um, and the way I work, I mean, the absolute antithesis of Ansel Adams, who famously oh, okay. said, you should pre-visualize oh, your, well, so do I, but he, yeah, he said, yeah. you should pre-visualize your print before you click the, the shutter so that you know all the tonalities you want and you can make the correct exposure for the final print way down the road. So it was very composed, very, you know, um, kind of stage, very thought through from beginning to end. And my work is really about spontaneous discovery. I, I work with very long exposures and I work with movement and um, in the camera work. So by long exposures, I mean, they're, they're many seconds to many minutes long. Um, 
and always with movement, either a moving subject or I am moving or I'm shaking the camera or all of the um, combinations of all of the above and each little variation produces very different effects. And then, you know, different cameras will produce different textural and sort of color effects. And then to get an image right, I might make hundreds of exposures. Then I've got to select the best one. And that's all a lot of work. And then um, often it takes a long time. Like I find sometimes I produce the best pieces when I don't look at the files I've just captured for weeks or months or years. Oh, let it, let it. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. And then I go back and I see it with fresh eyes and it's much easier to decide to see which ones, you know, have a bit of magic. But that's interesting. Then, that's interesting because I do the same I, thing, same thing with drawings. I do the same exact thing. I'll be working on a drawing and I'll have to stop and give it a couple of days, go back and look at it again, and then I can start again. And I'll have to do a lot of digital processing of multiple very similar files because they won't all process the same, even though they might have been taken moments from each other in the same place. Very different effects will happen, and which is just fascinating, you know. Mm. And um, so I'll have to, you know, spend sometimes hours on each file to, and then decide no, this one's better than that one, and you know, tosses aside. And then, you know, so I can I can have an immense amount of time invested in a piece before it ever gets to physical production time, and then that's a whole, you know. So wow. I can talk more about how long it takes to physically produce a piece once I've got a file ready to print. Crazy. You know? Wow. Um, and that can be a substantial amount of time, you know, uh, I don't crank them out like in a day. They, they, oh, yeah. Yeah. But. Well, listen, we, we are out of time, but I, I want to remind everybody we've been talking to Saul Hill, the creator of Metagraphs. So definitely check that out and go to his website, uh, S-O-L-H-I-L-L.com. If it sounded like we were talking over each other today, we weren't, it was just, we were, but I mean, it wasn't anything rude or anything. It's just that Aaron's on the phone instead of being in the studio and, weird stuff going on with zoom so i'll try to clean it up and post you know but um aaron do you have any final words keep the creativity flowing well there you go thank you it it does <laughs> unless the world is flat then it then it just you know well that, you know that's another show i was telling i was telling aaron the other day i posted something online it's a picture of a cat on the flat earth and it and it showed the cat kicking a bottle off the edge of the earth I forget what the caption was now, but anyway, uh, Saul, uh, Saul, uh, what? If the, was, if the world was flat, the cats would be kicking everybody off the planet. That's true. They would. Uh, Saul, any final words from you? Uh, well, other than thank you for having me, um, I would just say have a beautiful and inspired day. And, um, and yeah, I like what, what um, Einstein said, that creativity is far more important than intelligence. There you go. Uh, yeah, there's you're. The, there's the EQ. <laughs> Well, again, great guest. I really appreciate you participating. We're going to have you back in the future. And, um, uh, you know, we have a lot of other, uh, a lot of our listeners are actually podcasters also. So uh, who knows, they might, might be giving you a call. <laughs> so, uh, but, um, but again, I appreciate it. And that's all for today. And um, thank you. Yeah. And we're going to be uh, uh, touching again on the subject of NFTs and crypto art and all of that. I, I skimmed the surface on it today. Um, so we'll be doing that in the near future. So um, everybody, uh, thank you for listening. Artworkpodcast.com is our dedicated website. Uh, if you're on um, different platforms, just go Art Talks, uh, search Art Talk, Dan Twyman, T-W-Y-M-A-N. You'll find us on iHeartRadio, Apple, Podbean, all of these different platforms. We're all over the place. That's it for today. Until next time, we will see you later. Bye.